Hey, this is Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, and this is Q&A podcast number 17, and we've got a wide uh, scope of inquiries that I'm going to try to address on behalf of the mostly of the fine commenters of my YouTube channel. I'll mention just two things real quick in the beginning here. So the information that follows and the information that you find on my website is not medical advice. I'm not a doctor. I'm just a unlicensed self-experimenter and a, uh, a lay person, very passionate about research of all things health-related, practicing free speech here in talking about my own extensive experiences and my interpretations of published science that you can find for yourself. I do urge you to check out my guide on how to biohack safe and smart. You should not just throw everything at your biology that you can purchase on the internet or that you find people making video blogs about or writing articles about. Not all that stuff is good for you. There's a bit of a perception, and this is probably one of these these socially uh, enshrined things in our attitudes that, hey, if something is for sale, then it, it must be okay for you. It must not be bad for you, right? Because otherwise they wouldn't sell it. And that's actually not true. You can go to your local pharmacy And you can find a number of things there on the shelf of your local pharmacy that are objectively proven in in science, in uh, clinical trials, to be quite bad for you, yet they are there for sale, packaged in an appealing way with smiling faces on them and attractive colors. So you do want to do your own research. It is worthwhile to... Begin with a conservative and skeptical mindset. You should consult a doctor about your biohacking, about your efforts. And ideally, you want to get a second and a third opinion from your doctor. Uh, doctors are professionals. They do have a lot of value. They are really important. But it is important to get a statistically significant number of opinions when it comes to what's probably the most important thing, which is your health. And secondly, I'll mention a lot of you who are listening to this are, hmm, perhaps you're, perhaps you're a victim of your own cognitive biases where You'd like to get ahead in life. You know, you've got some goal. Maybe it's graduating college. Maybe it is finding the love of your life. Maybe it is uh, breaking through some glass ceiling in your career. And you're convinced that your issue that's preventing you from doing that is something, uh, is some specific health issue. You've just got something going on with your health that is really preventing you from getting there. And you're probably partially right, because everything that we accomplish depends so much on our health. But you probably 
have a bit of a cognitive bias here that's holding you back from really saying the truth, which is that you probably lack discipline. And boy, discipline is really tough in our day and age. Everything about our uh, 24-7 advertising, media, materialism, entertainment, infotainment, amusement coming at you from uh, you know, millions and millions of pixels every day broadcasting, uh, you know, fantastic images into your mind. All of this is detrimental to your discipline and your focus. And if you think you have an issue with discipline, if when you look at your past and you look at some of your failures in your past, if you can, with retrospect, say, you know what? My problem was really my discipline. I just didn't follow through the way that I should have. And that's, that's ultimately what's the cause of my, my failures. Then I'd urge you to go and uh, check out a form on my website. I will link to this below wherever you are listening to this podcast. And this form, you'd want to take a good like 15, maybe 20 minutes to fill this out. And it asks you a series of questions and has some survey type things going on that are going to help you to narrow down your weaknesses. And unless, unless you've actually gone through an exercise like this before, you, you may have some weaknesses that you just haven't really thought of that are perhaps they're costing you thousands of dollars. Perhaps they're costing you more. Perhaps they're costing you a lot of, a lot of happiness. And I'd urge you to go and fill out this form and then that will put you in touch with me. And what you can do is you can schedule a call with me. And I do this, this kind of like life coaching thing, but it's a very, very lean version of life coaching. In fact, it's just two telephone calls. And the first telephone call, what we do is we go through the information that you submit to me because it does give me a really good picture of what you're about, what you've tried, where you're having problems, where your hangups may be. And then we will put together an action strategy for you, a plan. And then you are going to be held accountable to this plan. And in fact, I'm going to have you do some exercises with uh, kind of visualization and future casting and that sort of thing. That goes all along with this. And then in 60 to 90 days, so in the medium term, in the medium term, we're going to do another telephone call and we're going to talk about how you're doing and we're going to look at the consistency with which you applied the plan that we put together. And you may say, that sounds awesome. But Jonathan, you probably charge a lot of money for this, don't you? Mm, kind of. You'll have to get in touch with me. You may be thinking that it would be that you could save money by having like your significant other, your mom, your dad, your roommate hold you accountable to this sort of thing and that you'll like do calls with uh, this person in your life and that they'll hold you accountable to what your uh, medium-term goals are. And hey, you may want to try that. But usually that kind of turns out to be disastrous. And here's why, is we have these different 
patterns with people in our lives, especially the people that have been our, been in our lives, uh, for quite a while that have a, uh, a specific emotional role, a specific thing that they do in our life. And when you ask them to hold you accountable, they actually kind of need to be tough on you. They actually need to, uh, you know, be quite direct with you, maybe even be a little bit rough with you and tell you when you're screwing up and need to get your act together. And this introduces a level of emotional tension and a bit of a uh, aggressive combativeness into a relationship. And I just don't think that's very fair to go to the, your loved ones, um, to go to the people that perhaps you share a roof with and to ask them to take on that this this uh emotional friction with you just so that you can get forward in your goals. I think it's better to just pay someone to do it. So, if that's something that you might benefit from, you can submit that form to me and if your issue is something that's totally outside of my wheelhouse that I really don't think that I could help you, then I will let you know. I'm certainly not going to waste your time because uh, my time is very valuable. I can only work with a couple of people doing this. And so when people come through and they've got something, sometimes people have really complicated medical issues that are totally outside of the reading and the research that I've done, and I will direct them elsewhere. But I, I've got a couple of people that I, I feel like have really helped with this. Let's get into the questions. And I think I'm going to start with a guy and he commented on this video that I recorded while I was on vacation where I was talking about how social media, uh, social media caused narcissism in women was similar, had some similarities to porn addiction in men. And there was a guy who commented and he said, I oh, actually, I assume it was a guy, but I don't really know. He said, what if I'm addicted to YouTube? And this one has got to be super common. <laughs> I think probably a high proportion of the YouTube users are addicted to YouTube, but they're just not willing to uh, own up to it and face it because it is an incredibly addictive website and they have these amazing algorithms that do a tremendous draw job of feeding to you the videos that they know are going to push all your little buttons and entice you to just keep clicking and viewing and watching. And so I would say uh, this is something that you definitely want to think about. This is a, a real addiction. I did an article, I did a video, I did a YouTube video. Great, another YouTube video for you, guy. I did a review of the book, The Shallows, what the internet is doing to our brains. And in it, it describes, this was a book written by a researcher, and he talks about how the chronic use of the internet has an effect on our brains that is really similar to kind of like a, 
a heroin addiction. It's really bad for our brains in a number of different dimensions. So I would, yeah, I would encourage you to not laugh off a, a YouTube addiction as, oh, well, everybody's addiction addicted to YouTube. No big deal. However, unlike a heroin addiction, I would say that you don't necessarily have to quit YouTube cold turkey and never go back. I would say that this is kind of an addiction that can be managed in a reasonable way. So you want to look at what I describe in that article, and it's one of my better articles. It's, it's quite lengthy, but in that article, I describe a working memory rehab regimen. And this is a block of time that you spend. Ideally, you'd want to do it every day. And you would spend in between like 20 to, on the high end, one hour a day doing different things that exercise your working memory. And YouTube does not exercise your working memory. In fact, YouTube is probably kind of uh, not helpful for your working memory. So you would do things like meditation, brain training, reading books, and even uh, things like writing. And these are all activities that are really going to engage your working memory. And these are going to exercise those mental muscles that have perhaps atrophied a bit from using YouTube. So that would be the first thing that you'd want to consider is working memory. Working memory is super important. It underlies all of our success and failure in life, in this world where we are compensated for our smarts and our ability to solve complicated questions. Pardon me, I had to take a sip of my tasty tea here. And then, second of all, there's a number of practical solutions to this. So, you're probably watching YouTube on your devices, your smartphone. And I, a while back, found that I was really kind of using Twitter impulsively. And, uh, well, I was using the Twitter app impulsively. And Twitter really is terrible for your state of mind, for your mood, for your working memory. And so I eventually uninstalled Twitter on my phone, on my smartphone, on all my devices. And now I just don't have that temptation to wake up in the morning and take a look at the Twitter feed of disasters happening in the world. Uh, as soon as I wake up and I look at my phone or whenever I go to the bathroom or or, or whatnot. So removing the apps, first of all, from all of your electronics other than your computer makes quite a bit of difference. On your home computer, there's a number of softwares that will help you out with this. There's the, there's a software called Self Control, which I will link to that's worth checking out. There is another one that goes by another name that is for the Mac, uh, in case you're a Macintosh user. And I will link to that in the, in the show notes for this. And I've even heard of people that will, they'll go into their 
settings on their computer and they will block certain uh, websites and you can actually block certain websites within the within the uh, operating system of your computer thereby making it uh, damn near impossible to visit websites and so i would maybe do a week try to do a week off of youtube go and install those softwares i think they have free-ish versions and just take a week off of it and it'll be a little bit weird the first couple days but I think you'll adapt pretty quickly to it and then what you can think about is trying to stay consistent with that working memory rehab protocol and you, and watching YouTube a little bit, because YouTube can be incredibly useful. There is an amazing amount of good information on YouTube that can empower your life. So what you want to do is, as long as you can stay regular with the working memory exercises, I'd say it's okay to indulge YouTube a bit. Next, I got a question from Taylor St. John. And she said, Hey, Jonathan, are you planning on doing any additional reviews on Crotum? I became highly addicted to that stuff to the point where I had to go to inpatient rehab for 90 days. I am mainly curious as to what your thoughts are concerning its positives and negatives as a botanical. I vaguely remember a video in which you concluded it really doesn't have a great value as a nootropic, but I could be wrong. Just curious. Yeah, I've had a bit of a rocky relationship with Crotum. Personally, I kind of like Crotum. I used it for a period myself, and I did find it to be a bit of a stimulator of, I would say, motivation, but not really cognition. I would love to see Crotum remain legal in the United States because I think it's a great solution for a lot of people that have uh, PTSD or chronic pain or chronic anxiety issues. I ended up having to remove a number of my videos about Crotum from YouTube because YouTube did this uh, aggressive censorship thing of nootropics and health-related channels a while back, and they killed my YouTube channel because I was talking about these different supplements that help people and transform people's lives, along with several other YouTube channels that did the same thing. And so I decided that it just wasn't worth the risk, and I removed my Crotum videos from YouTube because those were some of the videos that apparently had gotten my channel into trouble, even though in those videos I was pretty explicit about telling people that Crotum is addictive stuff. It is an opioid. Don't don't believe what these clueless people tell you when they say, oh, it's not an opioid. It is a opioid derivative. Opioid is a bit of a generalization as a, as a word. It refers to a category of molecules that have a pharmacological effect and opium and crotum falls underneath that. Umbrella. It can be quite addictive for a lot of people. However, I, I think it's actually uh, fairly simple to keep crotum usage moderate and to keep it reasonable. I think that 
everyone except for people that just have these raging uh, addictive personalities i think almost everybody can use it in a fairly responsible way and you can use a tapering strategy to get off of it where you just decrease it a little bit every day and then i also identify two nootropics that can be extremely helpful too uh, people that are trying to wean themselves off of it that might have a little bit more of a serious problem with it. And all of those videos you can find on my Vimeo account. I've got them in a couple of other uh, video accounts out there. In fact, I have them all linked on my article on Crotum. So I would say go and check out that article and just watch all the videos that I have there because I've got the the uh, videos about Crotum that YouTube doesn't want you to see. And I guess my current thoughts are on that are that Crotum has uh, an issue with quality standards. Uh, in fact, there are uh, no quality standards for Crotum. If you look at most nootropics and herbal nutraceuticals, adaptogens, things like that, you can easily find reputable vendors that publish a full certificate of analysis spectroscopy of their products that shows that their products are above 97% pure, that their products contain uh, acceptable levels of the, you know, the parts per million of uh, different like metals and things like that that you don't really want. And unfortunately, you cannot find that for Crotum. I, I'd love for someone to send me a, a Crotum vendor that does COAs, that does meticulously test, and none of them do. They're just, uh, as far as I know, none of them do. They are just uh, a big package of herbs that arrives from uh, Southeast Asia, and you just got to hope that they are good. And so I would say, I would urge people to find nootropics or find adaptogenic herbs that will do a lot of the same things as Kratom. If you're looking for something that's going to motivate you and make you more focused, if you're looking for something that is going to relieve anxiety, there's a lot of natural products that will do that. Uh, things like rhodiola are really excellent for motivation and wakefulness and mood, and it's quite easy to find uh, high-quality, trustworthy rhodiola sources out there. In my view, I would only recommend Crotum to like someone that was dealing with really serious uh, like PTSD, someone that had chronic pain issues, I think, uh, I think it's useful for fibromyalgia. So for those things, I would say, yeah, go ahead and use it because the alternative is really bad pharmaceutical drugs or uh, suffering or, or worse, right? But otherwise, I'm just not that big of a fan of the stuff. Next question, someone named Toya Boy said, does this drug, paracetam, have the ability to raise baseline levels or is it only for short-term effects. And I would say, yes, it does raise baseline levels. If you study 
mitochondria much. You've heard of mitochondria. It's the powerhouse of the cell, right? Mitochondria is the foundational energy generation mechanism of the body. And so, of course, anything that you can do to improve your mitochondria is kind of starting at the source and is definitely going to increase the baseline levels of your neurotransmitter function, your long-term memory function, your short-term memory function, and paracetam is identified as one of the most efficacious, meaning that it has quality human double-blind placebo-controlled research done on it. It's identified as one of the most efficacious mitochondrial biohacks. It's pretty close to the top of the list of supplements that you take if you really want to improve your mitochondria. So it will increase baseline levels. Typically, uh, anecdotal reports vary a bit on this, but I would say that the majority of people that use it do find that it improves that even if they, if they use it for a while, if they get it in their system and they have it in their system working for a while and improving their mitochondrial function, that even after they go off of it, they are usually kind of at a, at a heightened level. I did a survey on longevity and it didn't, it didn't collect what I would consider to be a statistically significant number of data points, which is like at least 50. Uh, and hopefully more. But I would say based upon that survey, a couple other surveys, conversations I've had with biohackers, chances are that paracetam is going to increase your baseline cognitive functioning in the long term, in addition to those short-term effects, which are beneficial. Next question was from a guy, William Perkins. And he said, would aniracetam be one to stack with Adderall? I would say not. Adderall is a hell of a drug. Uh, it's probably not for everybody. Adderall, it is a, a pretty hardcore pharmaceutical that is designed to, with its amphetamine mechanism, to... Uh, correct the uh, attention deficit hyper disorder that uh, a lot of people seem to suffer with, I would not combine it with too many things. Aniracetam is uh, such a benign compound, uh, like negative side effects and bad things happening as a result of aniracetam are, are so uh, so non-existent that I would not, I, I, I don't think it's going to really uh, mess you up to combine those two things, but I think it would just be really overstimulatory because a lot of people do find aniracetam to be stimulatory. And I'd encourage you to check out the video and uh, a very detailed article that I did entitled Adult ADHD Cured. And I identified four different aspects of how I've overcome my adult ADHD because I did I did once suffer from real serious ADHD but that is most certainly in the rear view for me now. Next question comes from Dr. Krishna. He said, "Hey Jonathan, I'm 28 years old. I'm new to nootropics. I'm a student from India. Been seeing your videos for some time now. Nice content. The thing is my exams are fast approaching and I would like to be able to concentrate from 10 
to 12 hours a day for the next 12 months. In India, not all nootropics are available. A little input from you regarding which among all drugs will best serve my purpose and be very helpful. Please let you know. Please let me know. <laughs> Waiting your reply. Good to hear from you, doctor. Dr. Krishna, are you really a doctor yet if your exams are approaching or are you a, a doctor to be? That's okay. Uh, we, of course, want you to be the best doctor that you can, which I think nootropics can help you with. If you want to concentrate from 10 to 12 hours a day, that's, that's kind of intense. That's, that's a whole lot. I would say modafinil is your best bet for that. You've probably heard of modafinil. Modafinil is amongst the nootropics. It is one of the most consistently performing, focus-promoting drugs. And it has a effect period that lasts quite a while. It, for many people, it does put them in the focus zone for in between 10 to 12 hours. There's, uh, there's a spectrum of response to it, though. A lot of people find with modafinil that they run into a tolerance curve if they use it more frequently than like uh, three to four times a week. A lot of people find if they're using it more than three to four times a week, then it starts to become a whole lot less effective. And I know personally, I'll use it like once or twice a week, and I will be really deep into the focus zone for... Uh, for quite a long time. Now I don't, uh, I, I, I don't quite punish my, I've grown up a little bit and I'm not quite as sadomasochistic with my work ethic as I perhaps was when I was younger. So I don't do 12 hour days that often. So I would encourage you to take a look at modafinil and there in India, uh, modafinil is probably a prescription drug. Uh, it's probably something you'd have to go to a doctor for. However, you can order it using Bitcoin, using cryptocurrency, which is real easy. Cryptocurrencies couldn't be easier to acquire. You go into a cryptocurrency exchange and you can use your bank account. You can use a PayPal account. You can use uh, probably whatever the uh, digital uh uh, banking tool is that you prefer to purchase cryptocurrency, and then you can go and purchase modafinil from someone like Afinil Express. There's a couple of different companies. There's even some companies there in India that will ship it to you in a non-conspicuous package <clears throat> that is not going to attract the attention of anybody and is not going to require a prescription. Of course, if you want to do things, you know, the, the legal, the, the, the way that is strictly following all the laws, you probably need to go to a doctor. Modafinil does have a cofactor that you may not have uh, heard of. These two go together really well, and that is nicotine. I'm not encouraging you to smoke cigarettes, of course, that's really terrible for you, but pharmaceutical grade nicotine, like nicotine in uh, like 5% or 7% 
pharmaceutical-grade nicotine in a USP solution. Uh, a lot of times you'll th see this called uh, nicotine PG solution or nicotine VG solution. And what you do is you do some modafinil and then towards the end of the day, you'll tell, you'll be able to tell that your focus is waning a bit and that you're, you don't quite have the, that, that, uh, attentional control that you need to, to really study hardcore. And if you add a little bit of nicotine at, towards the end of the day, you'll get another solid, 90 minutes to two hours of focus. And if you're using modafinil together with this, ooh, these two things can really be a potent cocktail for focusing for, uh, for quite a while. And then you'd want to think about, uh, some lifestyle things also. There's different lifestyle things that make a pretty big difference in the focus that you have to bear. So your diet, makes a big difference. If you are consuming uh, a lot of carbs in the mid-afternoon or for lunch, then that's really going to rob you of focus. Doing some meditation, mindfulness practice, or even exercise about halfway through the day is going to help a whole lot with the amount of focus that you have to, that you can bring to bear. Uh, these, and you also, uh, if, if possible, it's good to not spend so much time sitting. When you sit, your blood flow is non-optimal. So if you can set up uh, what people call a standing desk, there's a lot of ways to kind of ghetto rig a standing desk. And stand, spending at least several hours a day standing will actually give you a lot, a lot more energy. I hope that helps. Let us know how you do with those <clears throat> exams. And then we had a question from Stephen Quack. That is spelled with a, a K, not like quack, 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 like a duck. And he commented on my video on Alpha GPC. And he was asking, is Alpha GPC better than choline, acetylcholine, or acetylcholine uh, for an Alzheimer's patient, which one is best? Choline, acetylcholine, or acetylcholine? So acetylcholine is the end product, so to speak. That is the neurotransmitter that is in your mind, that is in your body. It's, it's one of the most prolific and important parts of our neurophysiology. So you don't directly take acetylcholine. What you take is a precursor to it, which is acetylcholine, uh, choline CDP, or alpha GPC. And in regards to Alzheimer's, I believe that alpha GPC is your best bet. Alpha GPC is the most bioavailable of these. And alpha GPC is a nootropic that they have human clinical trials that have been done that demonstrated that it was beneficial to people. And I'll pull up a bit of my research. 
On this, in regards to reducing the rate of cognitive decline, alpha-GPC at high doses, 1,200 milligrams daily, does appear to be somewhat effective in mild to moderate Alzheimer's disease and works nicely with the standard therapy. So I would say that alpha-GPC is, is definitely worth the attention if uh worth your attention if you're if you're facing the the harrowing prospect of alzheimer's disease you you certainly have my sympathy because i know that alzheimer's disease uh it's it's really sad it really does rob uh it sounds like someone close to you of their mind which is which which is uh, a sad thing i'd urge you to look through as many other videos on my channel as possible about uh, Alzheimer's disease, learn about other nootropics. Um, if I had a loved one that was dealing with Alzheimer's disease, I would uh, throw the kitchen sink at them, uh, so to speak, metaphorically, <laughs> metaphorically speaking, in terms of the biohacks. I would do everything. I would optimize their diet. I would be giving them alpha GPC. I would be giving them some of the racetams. I would be giving them uh, ginkgo biloba, which is a really excellent nutraceutical that has good, good evidence in regards to uh, cognitive decline. I would be giving them all sorts of mitochondrial supplementation. So like the CoQ10 and the D-ribose and the PQQ, I would be giving them all of that kind of stuff to give them as much of a fighting chance as possible. Final question comes from a fellow in Germany. And he said, thank you, Johnny. It was very helpful. Can you do a video about Huperzine A or SQ1, I think he means SKQ1, or monoatomic gold. Please have a nice day. Peace and harmony. Okay, in regards to Huperzine A, I have an article on Huperzine, and I'd encourage you to just go and, and read that article. To be honest, though, I need to uh, update some of my information about Hooperzine. Uh, Hooperzine can be a bit of a double-edged sword as a nootropic. It can cause uh, an excess of choline, and an excess of choline is not necessarily a good thing. Uh, so I I urge people to conservatively use Huperzine. I know that it's included in a lot of nootropic stacks because uh, I, I think people like it for the lucid dreams that it seems to stimulate. I think I think that seems to be the number one selling feature of Huperzine. But I'm, I know that there's actually some downsides to it. You can follow my channel and at some point in the future, I'll be putting out another video about Hooperzine where I will, uh, where I will explore the downsides of it, uh, as well. <clears throat> I believe I do have a video about that. I, for now, I'd encourage you to read my article. SKQ1, well, SKQ1 is a topic that I am totally fascinated by, and I did a extremely thorough article 
about SKQ1 and its applications. In fact, I am right now using some SKQ1 eye drops on my eyes as a vision biohack. So I will link to my very detailed, very thorough podcast on SKQ1 on the podcast notes page that will be below wherever you're listening to this Q&A podcast. And then finally, you mentioned monoatomic gold. And at some point, I am going to uh, do a, a thorough video about monoatomic gold. I watched several of those mystical documentaries about monoatomic gold that you find there on YouTube. And I was like, Oh my God, this, this is amazing. This is, uh, this is right up my alley as a biohacker. And then I went over to a website that I spend a lot of time on, PubMed. And I thoroughly searched PubMed for clinical trials and information about monoatomic gold. And there is next to nothing. There is truly an underwhelming amount of human clinical research that is done on monoatomic gold. There, there is a study. There was a single human study that was done on it. I'm pretty sure it was a Swedish study. And the study is, uh, referenced over and over and over by the popularizers of monoatomic gold. And there was a study where they showed a little bit of a statistical uptick, a little bit of an improvement in, in some dimension for monoatomic gold, but it was a single study and it was a statistically insignificant group of people. I think, I think it was a group of about 10 Swedes that they had on this stuff. And I'm sorry, that is just not anywhere enough evidence for us to consider something to be a biohack. Monoatomic gold has been around for quite a while. I think that guy that found it in his backyard or whatever initially, I think that was like back in the 60s or the 70s. There's been plenty of people making plenty of money selling monoatomic gold on their websites for quite a while now. And those people could have funded some sort of human study on this stuff. And we could have done a, a high quality, uh, double blind, placebo controlled human study on the stuff. And that would have given us a real solid piece of data that would say, yeah, this stuff is worth the attention of biohackers. But, uh, that was never done. And again, it's been quite a while. You can take a look at a lot of other nutraceuticals like the SKQ1 that you mentioned. SKQ1 is a newer thing, but it is attracting real research because it actually has potential. It actually, it actually, uh, does some, some good. It actually has, you know, anti-aging effects in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And thus, there is a, a body of research that is being built up around it. That is something that's worth people's attention. Monoatomic gold is, uh, in my mind, almost in the same category as, like, uh, as like uh, UFOs and, uh, oh, you know, really out there, really woo-woo kind of 
stuff, you can try it if you want. In fact, if you want to try it, uh, I'd be happy to hear your anecdotal experiences. I may even publish it if it's an interesting anecdotal experience, but I don't think monoatomic gold is a nootropic or even belongs under the uh, umbrella of being a biohack. So sorry to rain on the uh, monoatomic gold parade out there. Again, I'm Jonathan, and as always, I look forward to a continued conversation with you. Legal notices. If you or someone you know developed or created a concept, piece of content, or idea shared on this show, please email us at info at limitlessmindset.com so we can mention them in the show notes or provide a backlink. We want to give credit where credit is due. As a listener to the Limitless Mindset podcast, we hope you have and practice common sense. However, since some of the content covered in this show deals with subjects of a health, legal, or business nature, this show is for entertainment purposes. If you need recommendations of doctors, nutritionists, or attorneys to consult before making decisions that may have health or legal repercussions, please email us at info at limitlessmindset.com.